This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Tiki Barber. You're listening to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two. Ago, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's the Rolling Stones. I see Ira Coffin rocking out there. Anyway, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced its preliminary list for the class of 2022, and it included 122 names with Demarcus Ware, Andre Johnson, Devin Hester among the first time eligible. I think there were 10. All right, you've been on the Hall's Board of Selectors longer than I. I guess I'll ask you. To the top, what was your first impression of this expansive list? My first impression is I could I could list 40 names down uh, and, and to cut down to 25. Um, Me too. Just to get them in the room, Clark, uh, you yep. know, our buddy Rick Goslin, that's a big point of his. Get him in the room, get his uh, resume examined. Um, and I know there's a guy, I'll throw him out there right now before our guest comes on, Leslie O'Neill. Clark, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, no, no respect. No respect. Yeah, I agree with you. I covered him. 132 and a half sacks, as many as Lawrence Taylor had before our guest, John Turney, dove deep into the history of sacks. But he was tied with him. And he doesn't get a sniff. He doesn't even get a sniff. Never been a uh, – I think he's been a semifinalist once, but that was it. Um, I'll ask you about somebody else here, Ira. Um, someone asked me why Tony Romo's name is not on that list. And, and I don't have an answer. Now, I, I'll also be honest with you. I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy, uh, maybe for the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, but uh, not Canton. But if you're going to include people like Jake DeLome, Dave Craig, and Jeff Garcia among the quarterbacks, I think you'd have to include Tony Romo too. And, and Tony is a first, should have been a first year eligible. You're absolutely right, Clark. Uh, in comparison to some of the names that are on that list, uh, and I think he's short, Clark. I don't disagree with you. I think he's short, yep. um, uh, you know, of, of a bust. But you know what? He had a pretty darn good run in Big D. And uh, I think he deserves a look. Uh, uh, certainly, if you're going to have Jake Dahome on that list, you're, you're going to have Tony Romo. All right. You and I have had a pretty darn good runs, too. When do we deserve a look? Uh, well, I can't get a sniff for the uh, – for the, uh, for the uh, uh, you know, the, uh, what's the award for the, um, uh, writing? I, I, I can't, the O'Connor award or something. I, I can't get a sniff over there, Clark. You know, I've been doing this, uh, since 1941 and I, and I can't get a look. <laughs> yeah, I know. My grandfather told me about you. <laughs> anyway, as we often do when these lists appear, we consult our favorite NFL historian, and that would be John Turney of pro football journal. So John, uh, you've seen this list as you have in many years past, in my opinion. It's not really top-heavy with first ballot choices. In fact, I guess I'll be honest with you, I'd be hard-pressed to find more than one, and that may be a reach. So it seems, as you predicted on this program earlier, 
that this is set up to be a cleanup year for those who have been waiting. I'm talking about the Baselli's, the Leroy Butler's, Richard Seymour's, maybe Zach Thomas, to, to move forward to Kent. Would you agree? I, I would agree, and that's what I'm hoping for. There's always the divide about the answers you give, like what you think will happen versus what you think should happen. Uh, in this case, they're the same. I believe that the committee is probably going to follow the queue and put in the four guys that were in the top ten, and that that will leave one slot for maybe somebody new, like a DeMarcus Ware, maybe, or somebody that was in the top 15 to, to move down. And that's where I think the real dogfight will be for that last slot. Okay, I mentioned Ware, Johnson, Hester among the first-time eligibles john if you had to make someone a first ballot choice from this group who would it be i would think where would be the top of my list of the first time eligible players this year i think he had the more complete career eight pro bowls is a is a really good number uh his statistics are there with the sack numbers so i think and i think if you asked a lot of uh, tackles out there. They would list him as one of the top five they faced. We don't get a lot of that kind of journalism anymore. Back in the day, uh, the scribes would be in the locker room talking about, you know, hey, hey, Ronieri, who are the best guys you faced? And they would, you could find those things in print. I'm finding fewer of those things, but I think Ware would get plenty of what I call testimonials. So to me, he's the He's the one who has the, the most complete resume. Devin Hester, I think, is somebody who should get in. Uh, as, but I don't think he's going to make it as a first-time first eligible. And I don't, I don't really think he should if you're going to go by fairness in the sense that, yes, he's the best punt returner ever and one of the best, in my opinion, the best overall kick returner. However, that's based on he, he did it full-time. If you ask really who the one who had the most skill at it would be Gail Sayers. If you look at the percentage of touchdowns versus the number of returns, but he was also an all-pro player. So do we really want to give Devin Hester the same career award as Gail Sayers? And I don't think that would be fair because Hester was not a, a good position player. John, how would you compare a DeMarcus Ware uh, to a Jason Taylor or a Jared Allen. Um, and Jason Taylor was uh, a bit of a surprise as a first ballot guy. John, a few years ago that got in, not a lot of people thought that was going to happen, but they love pass rushers in that room. So, John, how, how does Ware stack up against Jared Allen and, and Jason Taylor? Well, very, very similar. I don't really believe statistically separate them. Jason Taylor had, um, you know, I, I had a little bit of a problem him getting in in the first ballot because there were only four offensive ends that were first ballots before that. And you could name them all by first name, Gino, Deacon, Reggie, and Bruce. That's gotcha. the Mount Rushmore of defensive ends. Now you put Jason in there and it just does not fit. So that does create a quandary. If somebody has the career stats and the honors and the testimonials and the intangibles 
of Jason Taylor, then are they worthy of being first ballot? Or do we look at that as a um, anomaly, something that just was out of the ordinary and the stars were aligned in terms of who was eligible? But right. Jason Taylor, Jared Allen, and Demarcus Ware, if you look at their sacks, there's just sacks, forced fumbles, which I like to look at a lot, defensive scores, you know, the impact plays. Yeah. You really can't say one is greater than the other. You know, you could say one guy had 10 more sacks than the other, and then the other guy has, you know, a few more forced fumbles. It's really the same. So you can't separate them. And I think that's what you gentlemen were saying earlier. If you put all the players in this bell curve, you're not going to have a lot of players in the upper tail. You know, the obvious Jim Browns or even a Deion Sanders you're going to have a lot more guys in the middle of that bell curve. And how do you separate those guys? If if you don't have any tens on a scale of ten, you've got right. a bunch of seven, eights, and nines, or seven, six, sevens, and eights. They're all right there. Uh, here's a guy that I think is very intriguing, John. He's not getting a lot of love in the room. I want you to tell me why. Short career, short career, but seven full seasons, seven Pro Bowls. Five first team, first team, John, five. And that's Patrick Willis. John, he was a, he was a dominant player for the Niners, uh, but had a, a rather short career. What's your take on uh, Mr. Willis? Well, not only were they five first team all pros, they were five consensus all pros. And that's another thing, and it's not a knock on Zach Thomas. He had nothing to do with it. But from 1984 to about 2016, there were two middle linebacker slots on the AP All-Pro team. For whatever reason, they had, well, it started because everybody was playing a 3-4 in the, in the 80s and the early 90s. And then the predominant, when the Cowboys did real well, everybody switched back to the 4-3. But the AP never took away that second slot. So every time Zach Thomas was a first-team All-Pro, he was the second-leading vote-getter, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Uh, Ray Lewis would be first. Zach Thomas would be second. Um, Brian Erlacher would be first. Zach Thomas would be second. But they both get that first-team award. But then the Writers Association only had the one middle linebacker slot, and Zach Thomas never got any of those. So when you look at Patrick Willis, he, the frequency of all pro is the same. The growth of the two are different. So, was who was the better uh, inside backer? No question, Patrick Willis. He was one of the best cover linebackers ever. He could go up and make tackles forward, you know, for losses. But he was always involved in that pass coverage. And they had kind of that three-four line, and then they would go to they bring in Alden Smith, and he played the right end. And Patrick Willis was, if they were in dime, he was the only linebacker. He always played in nickel. You're talking a three-down linebacker and who was the best of his era, you know, until he got hurt. We're speaking with historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal on the I Test for Two podcast. And, John, I was interested to hear what you said about Devin Hester and the possibility of his being a first ballot choice and mentioned possibility because the pro football hall of fame has a blind eye towards specialists. Ira knows this. We've got three in there, right? Not one of them is a returner. We've got two kickers and one punter. 
And and the 75th anniversary specialist, kick returner, pump returner, whatever, was Billy White Shoes Johnson. He's the only guy from the 75th anniversary team who's not in Canton. So, A, why do you think Devin Hester could break the mold and possibly, say possibly, and I realize the chances are slim, be a first ballot choice, but almost surely be a pro football Hall of Famer when someone like White Shoes or Brian Mitchell is not in there? Well, I think there's a difference if you really dig into the stats. And I've done that, and, and I don't know if his presenter's going to do that if he makes the final 15. I suspect he's going to make the final 25 uh, without a lot of problem. Uh, he might make the final 15. I doubt he would go further than that. But I think the difference between Hester and everybody else is it, when you dig into the stats, the, the number of touchdowns is just off the charts. So with 14 return touchdowns, that's uh, six more than, than uh, Rick Upchurch, and it's eight more than Billy Johnson. And is the percentage of touchdowns versus kicks is higher than both of those as well. And he was more effective as a kick returner than either of those two. And Johnson was the one who got more of the honors than Upchurch, but I can't separate those two. Um, it was just neck and neck on who would make the all-pro team that year or the Pro Bowl. So Hester stands out in terms of impact, more touchdowns. I believe they kicked away from him a lot more, too. I think that's one of the things you can point to that's an intangible or the eye test. You know, they're not going to – he still got 14 punts, even though they were trying to, to pin him in the corner or, or limit his return. And he was doing it against really, really good athletes and really, really special teams coaches who were trying to scheme against him. So I think that's kind of the difference. That's my opinion anyway. Well, John, thanks for that plug for the eye test. Always love to hear that mentioned. Um, <laughs> you heard me earlier say that uh, I was surprised. I talked to Ira and said I was surprised Romo isn't among these candidates, uh, only because of some of the others who are. Uh, any surprises for you, either people who are in it or people who've been omitted? Well, um, the Romo thing was interesting because I had a conversation with Joe Horgan years ago, and I don't know if this thing applies, but he intimated or flat out told me that if somebody made a Pro Bowl or an All-Pro team, they were supposed to be automatically on the list hmm. for their first year. They didn't need to be nominated by anybody. They didn't have to have any kind of special anything. They got on. Now, the other quarterbacks you mentioned, DeLome and Garcia, the only way they'd really be on now is if uh, somebody's been nominating them, and it could that could be anybody. Any fan can nominate anybody. And then if that person has at least one Pro Bowl in five years of, of service, they're supposed to be able to be on the list. Um this didn't happen. So I think it's probably an oversight. Maybe everybody just assumed he was going to be on it. I agree with you. He's probably not going to ever get in, but he certainly would have had a shot at the top 25 in my view. Yeah. Uh, John, I'm not sure that's true. That thing about the pro bowls. Cause um, I've been looking at Mike Allstott. Um, I think he made six pro bowls as a fullback, John. Um, but and he was on the list, you know, a couple of times, and he got he dropped off this year. 
So I nominated him just to get him on the list, but he did drop off. I think they have some kind of rule, John, where you got to get at least four votes or something in, in the previous year. And if you don't, if you don't have well, that four votes, you, you, you might drop off. But John, a couple of, right. yeah, something oh, like pardon that. Me. I didn't mean to, didn't mean to interrupt there. Pardon me. That's all right. Uh, John, last two for me, uh, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, as you talk, I find myself nodding my head most of the time in, in total agreement uh, with, with your points. John, the wide receivers. I mean, this is like the Smith Brothers company here. <laughs> uh, Rod Smith, Jimmy Smith, Steve Smith, Andre Johnson, Bolden. John, my point is, how do you separate the compilers from the guys that should have the bust in Canton? It, it's not easy, John. It's just not easy in, in this case of uh, – you know, playing in a pass-happy era. I mean, it's different. The Paul Warfield, you know, was lucky to get uh, five, six balls thrown at him. Well, that's where I completely agree. And nobody has come up with a really good metric to compare the old guys versus the newer guys. Uh, Clark has seen the one I worked on, but it certainly has plenty of flaws. But after all these years, the when you compare percentage of touchdowns and you go by catches per game and yards per game, in my metric, Don Hudson still comes up first. So at least it, it recognizes some of those guys. And Paul Warfield and Bob Hayes, guys with long yards per catch averages, also do very well in my system. So the guys that you're talking about now are the ones that have a lot of catches, a lot of yards, pretty low yards per catch. And some of them have pretty low touchdown totals. If you look at Andre Johnson, he doesn't have over 100. So you have to wonder if these are guys that were making a lot of yards between the 20s and don't have that little special thing. You guys call it the eye test. That's perfect. But but I always, you know, sometimes I lean on the statistics. And in this particular case, what was their percentage of touchdowns versus catches? Maybe they don't have to have a Jerry Rice percentage or a Randy Moss percentage, but you know, a benchmark might be at least a, a total of a hundred, and also a certain percentage that's reasonable with everybody else. And none of these guys have it. And the two guys that have been kind of bumping in the top ten are Reggie Wayne and Tory Holt. And you know, nothing against them, but these guys were second chair wide receivers. The the guy ahead of them in both of their cases. Isaac Bruce and Marvin Harrison are in the Hall of Fame. Is it really right or fair to have both wide receivers from the same team in the Hall of Fame so quickly in this kind of pass-happy? Now, I know it's happened before, and we don't necessarily need to get into that, but your point is exactly right. How do you separate these guys? Are, are you, is the Hall of Fame committee going to put in, and I've counted them up, I think there's 39 wide receivers. You're going to put in the 40th, 41st, 42nd, 43rd best wide receiver, and there's one pure nose tackle, one pure 3-4 inside linebacker in Harry Carson, two if you count Ray Lewis. I think there's there's far less than 20 cornerbacks. Do you like Rondy Barber? I do too. Albert Lewis can't get a sniff. Not only is he somebody who I would compare to Jalen in his role. He was excellent on the outside. He had really long arms. He had the eye test and he had the honors. And at one point, Jerry Rice said he was the best he faced and he was the best pump blocker ever. Yeah. He, 
he can't even make the final 15. So are we going to put in 45 wide receivers and, and 16 or 17 cornerbacks? That's where I think, uh, as Rick Goslin put it, we need more blockers and tacklers in there. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, I'm with you, John, on, on the touchdowns. Uh, you know, that's why I always thought Chris Carter, uh, you know, should have got in a little quicker. I think he had 130 touchdowns. John, that's a big number. Um, John, last question for me. Offensive line, and the metrics are difficult, no question. Willie Anderson, Olin Krutz, Logan Mankins, and here's my guy. John, what is wrong with this man? He can't get a sniff. Steve Wisniewski. What, what's going on with Steve Wisniewski, uh, Mr. Turney? That's a, that's a mystery. Uh, my sources tell me he was probably not uh, blue as often as some of the others. But then again, there's guys that were similar that are in the Hall of Fame. So when I see guys getting, and I don't go exactly by honors, um, but as Peter King used to say, all pros and pro bowls don't mean everything, but they don't mean nothing either. So a guy like Wisniewski gets those kind of honors, nine Pro Bowls and in, in, in all pros. And I, it is, that one's a mystery. I think he should be getting a lot more juice. I think there's a lot of linemen that should be getting more juice. But the, the committee, and I think it's a lot of the younger guys, seem to be just wanting to put more and more skill players in. And Willie Anderson, to me, is qualified. I think um, a lot of those guys are, are certainly worthy of the discussion. So, yeah, Wisniewski, um, Jay Hilgenberg was a guy who blocked for Walter Payton, six yes. Pro Bowls, and I believe four or five All-Pros. And they were consensus All-Pros. So I could name a lot of linemen that are kind of getting the short shift as opposed to wide receivers who just seem to can walk in or other skill players. You know, it's funny. Oh, we've had Willie, rant. Yeah. We've had Willie Anderson on this program before, and he thinks the fact that he played right tackle – penalizes him and I don't disagree because the all the only tackles we've been looking at lately are left tackles well yeah and if you go past even those two and, and I hope Willie if he were the fifth guy this year I would be dancing in the street same if it were Brian Young or Patrick Willis or Ab Albert Lewis the way to separate in my view and I wish the committee would listen to me but they won't is if everybody's kind of the same go with the guy who's been waiting the longest so I would put maybe Albert Lewis in this year, Willie Anderson next year. I mean, I don't know exactly when each retired, but go with it that way. The guy that's been waiting the longest, put them in. That way they don't – do whatever you can to not put people in the senior swamp. That should be the rule. We just don't yeah. need more people in the senior swamp. There's guys that have fallen in there where it's just a travesty in my opinion, based on their careers and what they accomplished and the, you know, Joe Jacoby, what else can you do? Uh, Mike Ken, Jackie Slater's in, he played 20 years, never made a re I mean, I think he was first team on a pro football weekly thing once, but seven pro bowls and was a starter only 14 of those 20 years. Mike Ken played 17 years was a starter, all 17. So there's a lot of these linemen that are falling through the cracks, and there's not that many running backs and receivers and quarterbacks falling through the cracks. Hey, John, full disclosure, Ira and I 
are in that senior swamp. We are, but it has nothing to do with Canton. It has everything to do with age. <laughs> last look thing for you, John. Last John, thing. look how long Peter it took. Um, yeah, look how long it took Winston Hill. John, there's another yeah. example. Winston yeah, Hill. That's right. Um, John, last one for you. Ira and I, as well as other voters, have gotten letters of support recently for Herschel Walker. Where do you stand on him and his candidacy? Uh, I would say based on the things I've already said, like skill player bias, pro-bias for skill players, I would, I would have to say no. I mean, here's a guy who had one-time All-Pro, uh, two Pro Bowls, and the real hook for him is he had these combined yards. Yeah, and the right. majority of those combined yards are kickoffs. My opinion, and you guys can tell me if I'm way off base here because this is just something that comes, it's always come on to the top of my head. You get 20 free yards by kneeling down. So shouldn't the standard be how many more yards you get beyond 20 yards? So if a guy has a 20 yard, 27 yard average, take away 20, and that's seven net yards in the positive. When I do a little metric that compares to make it kind of even for punt returners and kick returners. So that way you can do a, a, a little comparison of, it, 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 you know, it's just, it's called the, it's, it's, I, I can't even remember what it's called, but anyway, I subtract 20 yards from every kickoff return and then compare that to the yards average. That way they're close and you can do a um, harmonic mean. It's just a, a better average between the two things. In other words, sorry, I went on a little, little thing. That's the first time I ever kind of went off on a little tangent. The point is a lot of those, a lot of those are free yards for Herschel Walker or any kickoff returner. So you have to look about what they were above average and yeah, I, he wasn't that great above average. So the answer to me is no, those, those combined yards is a phony stat. Yeah. I, I think the problem with him with a lot of voters is much of that productivity comes in the USFL not in the NFL, but it is the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's not the NFL Hall of Fame. So I think he's an interesting case. Anyway, John Turney, thanks so much for the time. And thanks so much for introducing Ira and me to the term harmonic mean. Got to look that one up. <laughs> thanks, yeah, John. That was, uh, sorry about that. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs> thanks, John. Okay. Hey, that was historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal, Ira. What in God's name is a harmonic mean? You know, uh, I, 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 I aced my trigonometry test, but I don't remember that being on there, baby. Yeah, you're, you're a music freak. So am I. I just wonder if that had something to do with, uh, you know, like Mick Jagger playing the harmonica or Roger Daltrey. I don't know. By but... the way, uh, by the way, Clark, the, the Stones are coming to uh, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, I expect Mr. Glendon to be up close and personal with the. Uh, with Keith Richards, but um, Clark, last time I checked, four hundred and seventy-five dollars for the nosebleed oh, section. Wow! I'll say, well, I'll say no. I'll well, say no. you know what? Uh, speaking of Hall of Famers, I recently went into Boston and then Philadelphia last night to see the great Hall of Famer, Mr. Todd Rundgren. Anyway, uh, I, I, I hear. Do I hear something going? On? Yeah, oh, you hear something. Oh, I see they're cheering. They're cheering. Are they cheering Tom Brady? No, they're cheering the Rays. No, Ira, they're cheering you because you have this week's I Was There. So, Ira, where were you and what were you doing? Here we go, Mr. Judge. Here we go. 
one of the lost great teams. One of the lost great teams because they lost their last game, which happened to be in the Super Bowl, was the 1983 Washington Redskins, not the Washington football team. Try this one on, Clark. 14-2, and two, both losses by one point, a plus 43 turnover ratio. 43. 43. All right, so I was there. January 1st, yes, New Year's Day, 1984, RFK Stadium, 28 degrees to welcome your Los Angeles Rams. John Robinson, Eric Dickerson, halftime score, 38-7. Redskins, 38-7. Game over. People sleeping in the press box. Eric Dickerson, Clark, rookie season, 1,808 yards that day. 10 for 16, a long gain of four. 10 for 16. Uh, bad turf. Yeah, you know, cold weather, bad turf at RFK. Clark, here's the quote from John Robinson in the post-game locker room. Asked about the lousy turf. They could have beaten us in the parking lot or on an ice skating rink. John <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> um, Clark, the average margin of victory. 13 points. That's a big number over the regular season. And Clark, they go out in Tampa and they lose badly to the Raiders in the Super Bowl. Clark, that team finishes uh, uh, 17 and two. That's one of the great teams in NFL history. Yeah. And that's the Jack Squarick Super Bowl. But uh, I remember that very well. What were you wearing in the press box that day? I was in the press box. I was wearing my, uh, Sage T-shirt, the Sage of, uh, and you know what, Clark? That was that was the trip because my wife was on it to come to Tampa for a week for the Super Bowl. That was the trip that talked uh, that convinced us we got to get out of New York and we got to move to Florida. That was well. The trip. Ian doesn't know this. I don't think he knows this, but the RFK press box was open air. So if it was yes. in the twenties or thirties, you were freezing. And and the stands when the Redskins were rolling, the stands were moving up and down because they were jumping up and down. Anyway, Ira, any final thoughts for this week? Final thoughts. My final thoughts, Clark. My final thoughts are: uh, I'm looking forward to getting back uh, on the concert venue stage. Um, we got a George Thorogood show All in right. Sarasota. Right. I'm looking forward to that. And I leave you with this thought, Mr. Judge. May I nominate George Thurgood, who's been doing this for 40-something years? Can I get him a bust in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with all the, with all the nonsense groups that are going in right now? Yeah, can you can. Can I get a nod for George Thurgood? You can, but only after Jethro Tull gets in, okay? Is that a deal? I've got to get <laughs> Tull and Ian Anderson. Hey, I've got a final thought here. October 12th, today, October 12th, 1989. What happened, Ira? Oh, that I could have been the earthquake. That could have been the earthquake. It could have, but it was not. I talked about Herschel Walker early in this program. That was the date of the Herschel Walker deal in which 18 players and draft picks were involved. And the Cowboys, that's where the Cowboys made themselves. The birth, the Super the, the birth of the Cowboy dynasty, Clark. No question. They got three firsts. They got three seconds, a third, and a sixth for Herschel. And they got in that Emmett Smith, Russell Maryland, Kevin Smith, Darren Woodson, essentially they built their – Super Bowl team. But uh, anyway, uh, also um, this Friday, this Friday, w- do you have any idea what's going on this Friday? Oh, I, do. I got, I got a I poker do. game going on. What, what, what do you got? 
No, well, yeah, we should have a poker game going on because it's Ian's birthday this Friday. Ian's Ooh. birthday is going up. As a matter of fact, to Boston, I think, either later tonight or, or tomorrow. Ian, how old? Uh, I, I am going to be 35 years old. Wow. Yes. I reckon you remember that. I can almost <laughs> remember when I was 35. My son's 35, and I look at Ian Glendon, and uh, boy, to be 35, Clark, that, that's a wish we'd all have. Yeah, it is. And you know what? Uh, that means Ian is eligible to become president of the United States now. So, Ian, we're behind you. We're behind your candidacy. If and when I, I got socks that are 35, Clark. I got <laughs> socks that are 35. Yeah, I know. I've been around you, Ira. <laughs> Wash them, will you, please? That's going to do it. Ira, tell listeners where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, Clark. Ian Glendon. At IGLEN31. And me, it's going to be at, at ClarkJudgeTOF. And if you don't find us here... We'll find you, well, we'll find you right, well, if you don't find us here, yeah, you're going to find us right here anyway next week at, where, Ian, where are we? The eye test for two. Yeah, the eye test for two. If you get back from that birthday party, congratulations. Ira, what are you sending him? You getting him anything? Be- behave yourself, IG. Behave yourself. <laughs> I think that means you're not getting I'll you try. anything. <laughs> for our listeners, we're bringing you the eye test for two next week. Thanks so much for listening.